Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be talking with Bishop Felipe Estevez. That's right, we're honored to have the bishop here in the studio, and Father Rich is bishop, and we're going to talk about his fascinating journey from Cuba to the seminary and all over the world, and ultimately as the Bishop of St. Augustine. And when you think of why I'm on your YouTube channel or why I'm even into all of this, it's all because Bishop Estevez put this into motion a number of years ago, and we've been looking forward, Bishop, to having you on the show, so welcome. Thank you. This is our second conversation with a bishop, and this is our first conversation with a bishop in the studio. So we're really grateful that you made some time to come by and see us in the studio. And we've got a great conversation here. I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear this. Yeah, yeah no, this is really going to be powerful. And, and really, what's great, the two bishops that we had on the show have also been the rector of the Regional Seminary of St. Vincent de Paul in Boynton Beach. So Bishop Toops. Was our first, and now Bishop Estevez, yeah. which is which is fantastic. Bishop, truly, we we just want to welcome you and thank you. You've been such an inspiration to me. You installed me as a lector. You know, you called me to orders, which actually just was this past Sunday, the anniversary of Pope Francis's election, and you know, you're here now. And what a beautiful what a beautiful week to have you come into the studio and to share your testimony of faith with us, because you've had really a beautiful journey in Christ, and you've offered so much to the Church of Florida and beyond, for sure. So, Bishop, welcome. Oh, well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's really an excellent thing, number one, to have the bishop here, but also for the leniency that you allowed me and him to come into your diocese and do this. Um, Bishop uh, is merciful. He's very merciful. So very we merciful. want to thank you personally for that and allowing us to do that here. We hope that we're representing well. But uh, Bishop, tell us a little bit about, you know, your story. Where, you know, where did, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And because that's a really fascinating thing that I was, that Father Rich has been telling me about for a long time. And then I read into it a bit more and I was really enthralled with it. Yes, I, I was born in Havana, and um, uh, my childhood was a happy uh, life with my family. I had a sister, a brother, um, and uh, during my uh, adolescence, there was a dictatorship in Cuba, Batista, and there was a lot of oppression, and there was a lot of um, tension, and so a revolution came about, which everybody thought would be hopeful, uh, a kind of a good revolution, of democracy, in fact, that was promised that it would be a democratic uh, regime. But regretfully, a few years after, in fact, a couple of years after, uh, it turned sour. It became aligned to Marxist and Leninist framework. And regretfully, uh, my parents sent me to the United States of America. Mm. How old were you, Bishop, at that, at that point? I, I was 15. Wow. Uh -huh. Was that very common for a lot of people to send their children to the United States at that time? Well, uh, Cuba, as you are aware, is very close to Florida. Mm -hmm. In fact, even if you are in the southern uh, place of uh, Key West, mm -hmm. you could even see the lights of Havana. 
Wow. So um, coming to the United States was a common practice of, of middle class families uh, in Cuba. It was so close. It's even it, it, it was both ways because Americans would go to Havana to eat sandwiches, you know, out mm-hmm. of Miami. Mm-hmm. So um, it was not unheard, but uh, in the context of the tension that was then with the Fidel Castro's revolution and so on, the, this was a, there was a, a, it was like a dangerous move. Yeah, and, and from my understanding, it, this was part of a larger operation of children coming from Cuba to the United States. Over um, 14,000. Uh, it it's pretty historical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's that called? It's the, it's the Pedro Pan, the Peter Pan Project. And there's a lot of there's a lot of conspiracy and different sides and kind of an information war mm-hmm. that took place and and there was so much propaganda um, and, and you know it's so hard even in our own context in in the in the mass media world of of misinformation and disinformation and propagandas it's like what is what is reliable and what a tenuous situation to grow up in but bishop being 15 years old you're very aware at that age you know and and uh, some of the stories that i've seen of of little children being separated from their parents the emotional torture that that must have been. What was that? What was that experience for you as a fifteen-year-old young man? Well, in reality, what you say is uh, accurate. On the other hand, uh, for me, that was like an adventure. Mm. You know, when you are fifteen and you are going, you are, you will learn a new language, and you will um, come to a, such a big country, a great country like the United States. Uh, I, I, I guess that I had a more positive outlook because it all at the, at the time, as we were in Cuba, this seemed like a very short range experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought then how wrong we were that communism, that that regime would fall. Uh, and regretfully, even today, after 64 years, it's still there mm-hmm. uh, because um, the communist ideology um, is anti-democratic. It doesn't have that process of uh, that we are. So we take for granted our mm-hmm. democracy. Isn't it true? Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I read a little bit about Operation Peter Pan, and it was a lot of it was spearheaded by a, a Catholic priest, Father Brian O'Walsh. Mm-hmm. And it was really, like you said, meant to be a temporary thing as the turmoil of this regime change would die down, and most parents were expecting that it would be a year or two, and the United States would help to stabilize the situation. And they were creating temporary home homes and a safe environment for these children. Mm-hmm. It was the largest mass exodus of children in the Western Hemisphere ever up until that point. Mm-hmm. It was a big operation. They were putting them in, in homes and places to keep them safe so that when this cleared up, they can go back home. But like you said, Bishop... It's been 64 years, and that didn't pan out that way. Mm-hmm. So one of my questions is, <clears throat> when you arrived, were you welcomed by family members, or were you just put in a home? How did that—how um, how were you received? Well, the the Monsignor Brian Walsh was, uh, was in charge of this secret operation. It was secret. So it, the, the great effort was that the government— Government, the government, Cuba, the Cuban government would not find out about it. And so there was great strides to make it secret. 
And, and so when we arrived, somebody was waiting for us in the airport, and we were taken to a, a camp, Matacumbe camp, Kendall camp, in today's Kendall, Kendall. Miami. Oh, mm-hmm. oh wow. Sun is near there. And then, since this Monsignor was in charge of Catholic charities in Miami, he had a network of Catholic charities throughout the country. And so we were relocated to the different places where Catholic charities, like in my case, Fort Wayne, Indiana, said, we can welcome 27 kids. And so 27 of us were sent to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So then how from there, I mean, you're 15, how from there did that lead to, you know, hearing your calling to the priesthood? You know, how did that develop from there? Well, uh, I, I was also uh, provided with Catholic education. I, I, uh, I, wa- I had a scholarship to Central Catholic High School. And um, already in Cuba, I had like, uh, I was involved in the parish life. Um, and uh, I had a good experience in my parish, in my hometown. And, and so when, when the moment came to choose college, you know that how uh, uh, we begin having the SAT texts uh-huh. and the teachers encourage you to move to college and so on. Um, I, I said, I am called. I go to the seminary. Mm. Wow. So how old were you at that point? You were about 18? Or 18. 18 exactly. years old. Yeah. And then when you when you went to the seminary, what seminary did you attend? Well, I went to Montreal, where the Cuban seminarians were, and so Montreal, at that time, wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Cuba to Miami to Fort Wayne <laughs> to Montreal. <laughs> I mean, and, was and, the next step in the Antarctic. <laughs> and, and, and well, and that's the thing, you know, like Bishop said, you know, he he anticipated this adventure, yeah. and that's and that's truly what was unfolding for you. In, in every respect. And what was your experience kind of looking at the world in that time as a young man, you're forming your intellect, you're, you're learning about the world, you're learning about <clears throat> America, you're shifting to Montreal, Canada. It's, th- these are very different cultures and environments. What, what was your exposure to that and, and how, how was it forming you? And, and, and what was your worldview at, the, at and, that point? And also, how, how were your parents involved, too? Because mm-hmm. we haven't really made that yeah. connection, reconnection. Yeah, yet. that's an important connection, Ryan, because uh, part of the program, and I learned that many, many years after, was to provide the parents with a visa as well. So my family was reunited in a ye- within a year. Oh, oh wow. great! Yes, mm. and and so uh, I remember uh, finding a home uh, and beginning to 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 work part time uh, to pay the rent. The rent then in the sixties <clears throat> was very inexpensive compared to today. But within a year, we were already reunited as a family which is a great tribute to Monsignor Brian Walsh and the State Department that they had that foresight that not to keep us kids uh, kind of waiting for something to happen, Mm -hmm. but reuniting us with our families. Mm -hmm. What I, you know, you brought up Exodus, and I think it's just such a a perfect word for what this experience Mm -hmm. was. And, you know, there is, there's still presently so much propaganda around 
the Peter Pan project and like accusing different parties of, of, you know, not providing those visas, not reuniting families. And to hear your personal testimony is such an important clarity. It, it, there's a there's a clarity there. Um, because we, things can be manipulated. I, you know, everyone expects time. everything to be so smooth. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in in the in the fog of revolution, of regime change, of moving countries and visas, and having to do it clandestine, so it doesn't appear to be an anti-Cuban thing, so that the the Our government doesn't relations. shut it down. It's complicated, and to expect yeah. everything to run like a well-oiled machine is not realistic and it's easy to criticize but mm-hmm. you can see the legacy and the fruit of what Monsignor O'Brien did and you can see it right here sitting mm-hmm. with us yeah. and in the graces that he's been able to bring from all the way up to Canada and down to Honduras I believe yes yeah. uh-huh. and being the bishop in Miami one of the bishops in Miami I'm sure he heard a lot of stories like we heard in the seminary from mm-hmm. uh, your fellow Cubans where there were other instances where massive amounts of people came into the United States mm-hmm. uh, and they're all very fascinating stories and they mm-hmm. all have within them the, the struggle of, of basically as a refugee um, finding a place mm-hmm. to begin your life. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a very common thing. And, and, and the beauty of our American identity, our true ethos is that we are all, we are all immigrants and we all came from a different territory to find a, to find a home. Yeah. And, you know, we we live right now currently in northeast Florida, where the colonization efforts of Spain was received with ultimate freedom and peace and harmony. And we've touched on this so many, so many times. But, you know, uh, the initial interaction with the Spaniards and the natives in Northeast Florida was not what you saw in a lot of other colonizations in the Western Hemisphere. And, and, and this, is, this is the first mission. This is the first colonization effort in the United States of America, and that's something to celebrate historically because of how history unfolds. It's never clear cut. It's never, you know, it, it is a fog, and, and that's a, a great illustration of it. Mm-hmm. But to, to realize this history here and then your association with it, Bishop, and you celebrate it so well. So, you know, being in Montreal now, going to the seminary, um, did you have any type of association with the diocese or religious order? What, you know, how did that contextualize in, in your journey? Because, yeah, I was connected to the diocese in Matanzas, Cuba, mm-hmm. where I was hoping to return. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I was ordained a priest, uh, the bishop of Matanzas said, go to Latin America to see if you could come uh, that the government would allow you to enter, but that never happened mm. in spite of several efforts. And so I came to Miami and I became a priest in Miami. And uh, that was a great choice, which I am very blessed by, connected to Florida. Mm-hmm. Now you have obviously proficient in the Spanish language, <laughs> English. Than French returning to Miami, well, and you have the Haitian community that you could minister <laughs> wow. to. Let's not forget Italian too, because oh, he went course. to the Gregorian. <laughs> and we didn't, yeah, we didn't even hit on your on your Roman excursion. Look, we could barely speak Greg. one language, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's great to know languages, yes, because you understand the culture a lot better when you know the language. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's and it is good for our students to learn languages. Yes, yeah. yes. So. Having grown up and having 
I would say, a formative experience because of the revolution in Cuba mm. and that turning into a Leninist Marxist revolution. How did that ideology, that communist ideology, impact your life? And how did you see that impact other people's lives, particularly, you know, in the uh, Cuban community, but also, you know, in Central America and around the world during the times that, you know, that was happening? Well, in reality, uh, this is this ideology um, is a lie in a way because it has a propaganda component that it, it lifts up the poor. But in reality, it levels everybody down. And mm-hmm. um, it, it has uh, what I just said, just Cuba. In 59, it was the beginning. And this is 2022. And we and they are still there. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. how Hong Kong was a lie. What was promised, did not del- it was not delivered. Why do you think then that communist regimes inherently lie? Is it because their regimes can't deliver on what they promise, or is it a, a matter of control? Is it creating an elite group within the party? You know, how do you, why is it that so often these Marxist regimes end up lying and based on propaganda? Well, in in, in reality, uh, I think it's because the, the the people don't have a voice, and it, it exists by oppressing the people's uh, sovereignty. Mm-hmm. You know, like in Cuba, it, it, what was a movement of the people, it's control. And last July, there was like a sort of a revolt, which was the first time that it happened. But the people say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they are experts in, in, in the oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the twisting of of truth you know and it, it's like the appeal you look out look at the appeal was with the revolution this is going to be a revolution we're going to change everything we're going to establish democracy and freedom and then immediately it was like what like a month or something like that into it and then that oppression set in <laughs> and and people were being executed <clears throat> people were being imprisoned and and these are these are people of good nature and some of them just had open trade relationships and bringing economy to to Cuba and and that subsidiarity prospering mm-hmm. prospering and then immediately the, the you know that violence kind of sets in with a communist regime and it is. It's like that that oppressive control. Yeah. In, in the Russian Revolution, they promised bread, land, and peace. Mm-hmm. That was what the promise was to the people because they were living still under the effects of serfdom, you know, of medieval serfdom in Imperial Russia. And they were in the middle of the World War One. They said, okay, we're going to give you bread, peace, and land. And everyone's like, that sounds great. We don't have to fight people. We get our own land that we can control our destiny, and we get bread. That sounds great. But again, those are the kinds of things that Satan offered to Jesus in his temptation in the desert. Exactly. We're going to give you peace. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you power, and we're going to fill mm-hmm. your bellies, the things mm-hmm. of this world. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, in his wisdom, knew that that's something that is alive, Satan. But again, when you look to the government to supply your earthly sustenance, pretty soon they're going to demand your spiritual sustenance, and they're going to demand your intellectual obedience. But then you see right in these revolutions, then... They take it, they collectivize it, and then they wield those things that they promised you as power mm-hmm. over you. It's it's very oppressive. And they they promise you this, pull it on a string and say, now you can only have it when we say. 
Right. I feel very good about your analysis, Brian, uh, because uh, I I like the, the connection that you did with the mm-hmm. temptations of Jesus, because in the Gospel of Luke, the second temptation is related to power. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, uh, enlightened by the word of God, uh, puts him in his place. Mm-hmm. You shall worship God only. Well, I got to admit that I stole that analogy from Fulton Sheen from his book, <laughs> Life of Christ. That's what so, so it's not, everything comes from summer. There's only one virgin birth. So, but I'll admit that freely that Fulton Sheen informed me on that. I like, so. I like that. Um, yeah, I think too also is the, 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 in this particular case, there's a promise of freedom, mm-hmm. which is essentially the, the the desire of a human heart mm-hmm. woven into the fabric of, of the human heart. It's a desire mm-hmm. f- for freedom. Um, and and mm-hmm. for that to be taken away is is, is horrible. What's John that's, Paul's quote on freedom? That, that's a, uh, it's you, uh, you, you yeah, say yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's freedom is does is not, not is, freedom is not fulfilling whatever you want to do, whatever you're driven in in, in wants. But it's it's the freedom to do what you ought to That's do. That's right, and it and it calls us to virtue. It calls us to self sacrifice and self denial. That our freedom is in the action itself. This is in his book Memory and Identity. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that the importance of John Paul II's philosophy of human freedom, yeah. especially as it relates to the contrast of communism, Marxism, Leninism, yeah. is is such an important thing to value, because. Yeah. It's within the human person. It's within our subsidiarity. It's within that that you know that response of a people yeah. to God, and it's something that you cannot take away. No government can take that away. Well, they have been. You you see a lot of people moving now, and in Texas, we we get a lot of people moving, and the the reason why they move when I talk to them is because their freedoms are being taken away mm-hmm. to educate their children mm-hmm. to parent their children it's mm-hmm. basically the government stepping into places where they want to they want to enact their freedom mm-hmm. for the benefit of their mm-hmm. children as parents but there is no greater action of freedom in human history than the freedom of Christ embracing the cross and being crucified yep. and and that and that is you know no no government no power no elite no tyranny can ever take yep. that away the freedom of of the martyr's choice their their virtuous deposit of self and self sacrifice is something that that confounds the world. Yeah, it confounds the world because n- nobody can control that, and that is ultimate freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like reading the some of the Stoic philosophers from antiquity, and Stoicism says, you know, I know there, there's problems with Stoicism, but. No person can ever really be considered in, in servitude if they still have the freedom of their own mind. Mm-hmm. And that's something that no one can take away. But propaganda seeks to take that last bastion of freedom that is the hardest to get to mm-hmm. and to control it. And we see in this world propaganda, whether it be coming from communist regimes in China, whether it be coming from socialist media, mm-hmm. whether it comes from media with an agenda or news. They're trying to take that last bastion of freedom that no one has a right to, mm-hmm. even if there is land issues or materials, and they seek to now break that last one. And that's what we're under attack in our modern world, most I, especially. I, I completely agree. And and you sit there and you, you know, like it was my grandmother. She was she would sit in front. She was immobile. She would sit in front of the TV and she would watch the news all day long. And when you're exposed to the same feed in a constant manner, 
and all that's in your mind is what is being put there by another source, you know, that, that's a very scary thing. I mean, and, and you can manipulate a lot of people's minds. That's why St. Paul always expressed, you know, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Mm-hmm. That, that transformation is ultimately God, God communicates with us. Yeah. He communicates with us through his word, through the sacramental church. Through our freedom to love. That's real life. Yeah. That's real life. And that's good news. Right. That's good news. And that's it's the a good gospel. Feed. Yeah. It's a good feed. It's you should get feed. on that feed. You know that feed every day. Speaking of that feed, if you have not connected with us at CatholicTalkShow.com, what are you waiting for? And plus, if you're watching us right now on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Click the bell. That, so that way you can watch us constantly. And we all can the time. Here we want the, the feed. That's right. We're we a trusted source for feed. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, and we also want to give a big shout out to our patrons. Without your support, we would not be able to do this. I mean, we don't have a magnificent studio. Bishop Estevez said it himself, you know, beforehand. <laughs> it's a small studio. But with his permission right. and your support, <laughs> we are able to be in this tiny, tiny little studio. Please help us. But here's the thing, small though. is beautiful. <laughs> it's, I would say it's modest. And very modest. But, very we, modest. but this, from the size of the studio, we've been in over 50 countries. We've had 100 million wow. views. Um, look, it may be small, but we're having a good impact, and it's your help that allows us yep. to do that. And it's because of you, Bishop, setting this all into motion. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, so we we are very appreciative. You know, as as uh, as I kind of get this sense of like that that disappointment of freedom that you were talking mm-hmm. about before Delacrosse, like you know, you're expecting this freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, as a young man, you're 15 years old. The the expectation, the hope. As, as a young as a young seminarian as as a, as a young priest is that you could return to your homeland and give back and proclaim mm. the gospel proclaim the good news to the people and encourage freedom encourage subsidiarity and what was that experience like for you in in the element of of going to Miami getting as close as you possibly can mm-hmm. in all reality to your homeland but, but but was that disappointing for you? In, in reality, uh, we must live on in the present moment. Amen. I really like that spirituality of the mm-hmm. present moment. Mm-hmm. You are connected to the real, mm-hmm. and the real is today. Like Psalm ninety four, mm-hmm. today is the day of the Lord, mm-hmm. and uh, I was given that grace of living in the present mm-hmm. and doing my best in the present. Wherever, whatever time and whatever place, mm-hmm. and and so uh, I was not. Um, I, that's a grace. It didn't come simply from my own self, but from the Lord with me. Mm-hmm. The Lord led me uh, to to respond in the best possible way to the church where I was. Mm-hmm. You know, John Paul II said that. Most people think that the future starts tomorrow because that's the future, but the future starts today. And I think that's what you're speaking to is, Man. you know, you can sit there and pine to, you know, make the 90-mile trip back to Cuba. But then living in the moment is when, you know, you're really affecting the people immediately around you. You know, that's the solidarity of helping the person closest to you. You know, sometimes the problems of the world are insurmountable. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's so bad, I can't even do anything, so I'm just going to lay down and die, right? Yeah. 
But you know, depression. Yeah. A lot of people are depressed because uh, they they have like an anxiety toward the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And 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 uh, it's it's almost like it compounds. It's the anxiety of the future, and then the shame or the the past. And in those two, when you're living in those two moments, just sandwiches the present. And the present, it's the present. It's a gift. It's right now as a gift. We can take. And, and use it for good, or we could, you know, ha- have all these impacts on us that take us into... That's a great point. Amen. It reminds me of a, a quote from Padre Pio that I love. My past, O Lord, to your mercy, my future to your providence, my present to your love. Mm. And when, we, when we're disposed to a reality that we are not living in, the future or the past, it necessarily is going to cause anxiety. Wow. Necessarily. And what we don't do when we're occupied by the future and the past is to receive in the present. When we receive in the present, we have mission there. We have identity. We have impact. We have freedom to choose. You have the freedom to choose because love is an action. John Paul II again. It's not, it's not an emotion. It's not a, it's not merely a sentiment. It's an action of the will, preferring in a constant manner the good of the other to the good of oneself. Ordered by love and freedom, if love is a virtue and and it's something that should be progressed and something that we ought to do, and that's only when freedom can actually enter into the human heart is in that election, St. Peter, make your election permanent, brothers and sisters, make your election permanent, that choice of love is what sets into the heart human freedom. It's the antidote and the very medicine to the heart that would, would prevent us from entering into anxiety and depression. And, and the answer is Christ. Mm-hmm. The answer is Christ and living in the present. Mm-hmm. I, I love that Christian anthropology. Mm. I really do. Mm. You have explained it so, so well. Thank you, Excellency. Speaking of the present, Bishop, now we've kind of gone through a lot of your story um, and, and, and trusting our past to the mercy of God and the future to the providence of Especially God. the past mercy because Bishop, you know, knew you as a seminarian and, you know, you were at St. John Vianney. There's a lot of mercy well, there. Well, I, I, I just have to come He's out. got a file on me, man. That's what I said when I saw him. You probably have a file on me somewhere. I just, you know, I don't know you well, Bishop, Your Excellency, but I can just say that it speaks to your wisdom that you accepted him and not him. <laughs> well. We're still, we're still subjects of Bishop Esteban. Though. He's, I, still, he's still our bishop. That's right. That's right. He still has authority over <laughs> that's me, right, even though that's I'm in right. Houston. That's right. No, it's uh, it's been a blessing uh, having a beautiful bride and seven children, uh, some of which I'm sure will be discerning the priesthood at some mm-hmm. point. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, you, you get a two for one. Yeah, it's fungibility. <laughs> it's like it's fungibility. Yeah. Hey, get rid of me. I'll give you two later. <laughs> I, I can, I can see a Father Raphael in your family at some point. I could see a well, Father Well, he's two now, so <laughs> Definitely wreak well, havoc. Well, he'll be a great evangelist because he's loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very, right? good. Very good. Oh. So, so, Bishop, let's kind of move the conversation to what your episcopacy has been like here in Florida, the things that the initiatives that you've tried to uh, minister. You know, I know in particular, um, you know, Nombre de Dios and the mm-hmm. Our Lady of Leche, um, the Florida Martyrs, and, you know, in in context of Florida specifically, but what else have you been um, focused on? 
Yes. Well, uh, in reality, the being a, a leader of a diocese, uh, it's really uh, a ministry of accompaniment, mm. of uh, being with the priests, the deacons, in their leadership, um, being with the schools, um, being with the different organizations. And, and I think that uh, a bishop technically is an overseer. He has to be responsible for the well-being of that portion of God's people. Uh, but I think that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads that local church. And my effort has been to be open to the moves of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit, in, in every confirmation, we talk about gifts. And, and the Holy Spirit is a network of gifts. And that wisdom, that uh, um, intelligence, that science, that piety, that fear of the Lord, in a way, lead you in all the decision-making that you do day by day. One of my favorite moments, Bishop, was newly ordained. Well, actually, I was preparing for my ordination. Uh, I stayed at the cathedral, and um, I learned how to celebrate Mass in your <laughs> chapel upstairs. Um, and to walk into your chapel and to see you in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament um, really spoke to me volumes about your charism and who you are as a priest, as a man, as a bishop, um, you know, and, and what I loved about seeing you there, and I know this is a very private moment that we're making very public, but, but um, the intimacy of your heart with the heart of Christ uh, in, this, in the dark chapel, there were no lights on. You just had a little candle and you had the tabernacle opened and a little monstrance with a personal host. Uh, the presence of the Eucharist was just was just so, uh, ex you know, exposed for me. And then one of the first things that you set into motion was the Eucharistic Congress for the diocese. Um, could you share a little bit about your spirituality revolving around the Eucharist? Um, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, I am very happy that we are having this Eucharistic revival. Mm -hmm. There is unanimity among the bishops to have this. And, you know, to reach unanimity, uh, it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we're human, right? <laughs> that, that is a great uh, accomplishment. <laughs> and we are planning to have a big event in Indianapolis in 2024, July. And we are expecting more than 100,000 Catholics uh, in, for that event in July 24. And there is a whole revival going on in, in, at this moment in the diocese of, of the United States, these 210 dioceses. And next year, uh, that revival will be focused in the parishes. And the third year, that will be the national uh, gathering. This Eucharistic revival hits home to me. Uh, thank you for sharing that very personal story. It's the first time that I hear it from you. Um, I, I was not aware that I was so concentrated in adoration <laughs> that I didn't know that you had walked in. And yes, I, uh, I am very fortunate to spend one hour a day. Uh, I have been touched by those words of Jesus uh, uh, at Gethsemane and when before, before the crucifixion, 
he took three of his disciples with him and he said, couldn't you spend one hour with me? And, you know, for three times he came out to reach them. Couldn't you be with me for one hour? And so that question that we find in the gospel um, is very relevant to me uh, as I give one hour of my day with the master. You know, I've heard so many priests and bishops have their heart pierced by that question. Can you not spend one hour with me? And you'll see the fruit in, the, in their lives of the, mm-hmm. the who make that daily holy hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that uh, really transforms people. And, you know, to have the bishops, the successors of the apostles, answering that call and saying, yes, I can spend an hour with you is so healthy for the church. It's it's also good for the laity as Certainly. well. Um, you know, as a seminarian, the the one thing I remember about Bishop Estevez was when he came to the seminary and he just got back from a Eucharistic com- conference or Congress in Mexico, I believe, mm-hmm. and he was in a helicopter and he was talking about, I mean, this passion in his eyes about seeing so many people in adoration fill his heart as somebody who had a Eucharistic conversion, my conversion was through the power of Christ in the Eucharist. I was sharing that with them, like, wow, it's like it's like the great adventure. Like, you saw that many people in that race. Like, yeah, the host was really big. And I was like, Wow, this is so cool. You know? So you were in a you were in a helicopter? What was that? What? <laughs> well, I remember during the pandemic, Father Richard, that you got into a helicopter. <laughs> That was pretty special. That, that picture is spectacular. He's yes. <laughs> like blessing people with holy water. The whole a... the whole county. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the southern part of Duval County. And the funny thing was, so we're we're flying over all of our homes, our neighborhoods, and I'm I'm blessing each neighborhood and each family's uh homes. The blessed sacrament? With the blessed sacrament yeah, wow. in the in the uh in the helicopter. And um and of course, you know, as we're going to the southern part of St. John's County, you know, my heart, I'm from Flagler County. I'm thinking about my mom. I'm worried about my mom. I'm worried yeah. about, my pe- you know, so I'm like, hey, let's go further down US 1. I want to bless, I want to bless my <laughs> mom's mom. house. My mom's house. <laughs> like, if I, if I go up and I don't bless my mom's house, man, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, so I've got to, I've got to do this. So we, we Kyle, we put that there. video up. I'll send it up so you <laughs> yeah, can see yeah, this. Yeah, sure. So, you know, and, and I'm, I, I bless Flagler County. I come back. And then I call my mom. I'm like, hey, Ma, because I didn't talk to her at all because there was so much moving and, like, we were trying to get everything landed and we had video, all this stuff. And she says, oh, I wasn't at home. I said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? She's like, I drove all the way up. I was in your parking lot. She was was right here in St. Jeff's second parking lot. Well, Bishop, I've been trying to convince him for years to go skydiving through a rainstorm. And as he's going through the clouds, make the rain and the clouds holy water. That way the whole area gets covered in holy water. I don't know how that really works. You know? Intentionality. Intentionality. It's, 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 it's got to be yeah. intention. Well, you know, I think that the Eucharist is Jesus' greatest gift. Because let's face it, with the cross, he saved us. Amen. And that's sufficient. Mm-hmm. We are saved by his self-giving at the cross. Yes. But it's grace upon grace. Yes. Uh, he wanted to give us something that every week on Sunday mm-hmm. we could uh, connect with him mm-hmm. through the Eucharist. Yes. And regretfully, there are so many people who uh, take that gift for granted. Mm-hmm. 
you know, from the cross, Bishop, mm -hmm. you know, his open side, his open heart, blood and water, and, and, and from that blood and water, the sacramental life of the church as the fathers express. Mm -hmm. He's giving us his own body, blood, soul, and divinity, not as, not as a empty practice, not to take for granted, but to receive with open receptivity and to live mm -hmm. in his bloodline, to live in his mm -hmm. mystical body. You know, and another thing that came from the cross, Bishop, is the entrustment of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Amen. Mm -hmm. And the Eucharistic woman, in your words, mm -hmm. when you first started leading the diocese in this Eucharistic uh, renaissance. And your love for Our Lady has always been outstanding. And you've always referenced Our Lady's intercession. And you have single-handedly established a feast day in this diocese to Our Lady of La Leche. And it um, means a lot to me personally because of how much she, she has blessed my life and my priesthood is consecrated to her. But the fact that you did that, <clears throat> they call me Father Hanky. Yeah. <laughs> You did well, good. You I did. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Or we can just get him in the cloud and he can cry. Those tears are beautiful. <laughs> there they are. He's a priest love with the mother of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's right. So you, you've established a feast day. You've led to the renovation of the mission grounds, uh, the renovation of the Prince of Peace votive chapel, and now is the new shrine of Our Lady of La Leche. Um, can you share a little bit about Mission Nombre de Dios and uh, what the mission means to you and, and Our Lady of La Leche? Yeah, to me, it's the most important spot in the state of Florida. Wow. Uh, President Kennedy, a few weeks before he died in Dallas, uh, said that this is the uh, sacred acre, mm -hmm. the sacred acre. He used that word. Mm -hmm. And the most sacred space in the entire United States Amen. of America. Because that was the beginning of faith, even before Jamestown, 40 mm -hmm. years before. Yes. So the beginning of our country begins with the consecration to the cross. Mm -hmm. That's why in Mission Nombre de Dios, we have that majestic cross that the Archbishop Horley wanted to, to leave to Florida as a legacy. And when you enter the city of St. Augustine at any time, yeah. day or night, you see that cross. Mm -hmm. And that was the first gesture to honor the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the first mass in the first coast. And then a few years after bringing uh, Our Lady of La Leche to, to Florida, to St. Augustine. And the Native Americans who became Christians and were baptized had the greatest devotion to Our Lady. Mm -hmm. I think they they somehow grasp the tenderness of the nursing mother. Mm. The first shrine in the United States of America dedicated to Our Lady and, and what that place was for the natives, mm -hmm. the Tamuquins, the Yamasee. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what did they used to call, because they didn't call it the shrine. It was like the, it was like the church of the... It, it, Indians or something like that? Uh -huh. Yeah, the, the, the Indian's chapel. The Indian's chapel. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they would take such ownership mm -hmm. of that, uh, you know, and, and, and identify so deeply, as you're saying, Bishop, mm -hmm. uh, what, a, what a gift. And that is evangelization. Mm -hmm. 
That is the effect of evangelization. You know, that we've adopted, Bishop Estev has put into motion this uh, adopt a martyr. So we have the Florida martyrs cause of canonization, and there are some amazing stories. Stories, mm-hmm. Amazing. The two that we adopted at St. John Paul II here in Northeast Florida was Roberto and Eladio, two Yamasee warriors that converted to Catholicism, they fell in love with Our Lady so much that they defended the outpost of Mission Nombre de Dios, especially the historic shrine that they identified as their chapel. And when the invaders were coming in, they defended the sacred image of Our Lady. The invaders being the English. The English. Nursing Jesus, the, the sacred image which is one of the older images of, of Our Lady, um, they stood to defend her and they spilled their blood and gave their lives right there at the altar in the historic shrine. And it's the one that stood out for me the most and really touched my heart because that's, that's my desire. Yeah. You know, and, and I feel such solidarity with them and their witness and their offering. Mm. Um, but that's just one of over a, a hundred. Yeah, and I was just plus. thinking, like, what a joy to die for our blessed mm-hmm. mother. Mm-hmm. You know, what a, I mean, what an offering. A holy of conviction. Amen. Holy conviction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, the history of that area is so terribly underserved in American history because it is so tied to American history. But I think because of its roots in the, in the Spanish— the English nature of our country has suppressed that. But there's some really incredible occurrences there. I mean, that is where our country had its first permanent settlement. That is the first Catholic mass in this country. Um, and let's face it, we are a people that all of us, that's we what are makes us all great. immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we have come seeking freedom from oppression. You know, I was reading about uh, Fort Moses, or mm-hmm. Fort Mose, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was, if in St. Augustine, there was... Um, freed slaves or runaway slaves, African-Americans, created a free town, a community there, converted to Catholicism, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, worked for freedom. I mean, that's a really cool story that you don't hear about mm-hmm. of, of freed men converting freely, creating a community, a, a community of, of African-Americans in the 1740s, Yes, you know, in the, in the deep South. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right not too far from slave-owning states. That's a story that needs to be told. And, the story and we have the richest stories in that respect. Yeah, right. The Sisters of St. Joseph. And then, you know, like right there on the mission grounds, you know, the freed African-Americans that are buried on the mission grounds. Mm-hmm. And that was strictly forbidden, that mm-hmm. that burial grounds would not be inclusive in any respect Mm -hmm. culturally, but you see an inclusivity. Mm -hmm. You see the natives being buried on the mission grounds. You see African-American slaves and freed men, converts to the Catholic faith being buried on the mission grounds. There, There is no greater dignity to offer human life than giving them a place of rest and a proper burial. There is one right by canon law to every baptized Christian and Catholic is a right to a Christian burial, Christian, and that is dignity. And we're moving, and I'm going on a tangent, I'm going on a tangent here, (laughs) but we're moving away from these dignified, formal liturgies of Christian burial, and and people are are doing all sorts of things with Mm -hmm. human life. Mm -hmm. Human life is respected from conception 
to natural death, but even in the state of death, anticipating the resurrection, we must honor human life and revere it before God, anticipating the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. And, and giving a proper place of burial, giving a proper place of respect, that's mission nombre de Dios, absolutely. And when you're there, you see that around the historic shrine, and, and you see all sorts of diversity. Yeah, I mean, it's like a microcosm. I mean, you have the Spanish settlers, you have the Native Americans, you have fugitive and freed slaves mm-hmm. living together under that giant cross. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right? That is a model for freedom. That is a model for society. Mm-hmm. That is a model for living with your brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And that is the story of America right there in a microcosm that's undertold. Yeah. I think the most sacred acre. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. I think that that name fits it. it really that's does. why Dr. Gannon made such Im- uh, importance to say this is the sacred acre mm-hmm. of our country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we want to recommend uh, Gannon's book, Cross in the Sand, right. to you. So we'll put in the show notes, uh, if you want to learn more about the history of St. Augustine and have greater insight, uh, I, I think we can uh, reference that book and, and give you that in the show notes. And, and also what you so beautifully mentioned about the Holy Spirit working in a diocese mm-hmm. and your participation in that as a father, mm-hmm. uh, as an apostle, is that he wants this, he wants people's attention drawn to this sacred acre. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that and that is a beautiful thing. And this is something that I was unaware of as a parishioner here mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so beautiful that there's so much that we can tap into as that God wants us to to move into this place to learn from, to draw graces mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that we're now seeing through the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's going to be more to come with this. I know that mm-hmm. we tried to mm-hmm. put together a trip there for some of our mm-hmm. uh, listeners, but... We should do a Patreon the, meetup here, too. The, mm-hmm. the mini Camino mm-hmm. that um, the Malta Association is promoting... Uh, walking f- through the beach of Jacksonville and arriving at the Mission Nombre de Dios mm-hmm. and completing the entrance of the trip, the, of the pilgrimage, completing it at Mission Nombre de mm-hmm. Dios. Mm-hmm. Baby Steps Camino. We could also link yeah. that uh, that as well. Um, it's and and something something else to uh, consider, like when we think about pilgrimage, a lot of times we think about long trips to mm-hmm. Jerusalem, yeah. to Rome. Fatima. If you go to CatholicTalkShow.com forward slash Fatima, you can sign up for our, our pilgrimage to Fatima. But we're not talking about that <laughs> extension here. So. so and and you can do an extension on that pilgrimage to Fatima to Santiago de Compostela Those, and Ponte Vedra and and Ponte Vedra. Oh. That's going to appeal to our, our yeah. people here in Ponte <laughs> The original Ponte Vedra. The original Ponte Vedra. So, you know, you, you look at the principal pilgrimage sites, Jerusalem, Rome, Santiago, but the essence of pilgrimage is right here in our own country. Mm. You know, we want to encourage you, pilgrimage to St. Augustine. Visit mm. Mission Nombre de Dios. Realize the patrimony of our faith, because in the lineage of it, there is heroic witnesses right here in our backyard. And when we talk about the inspiration value of witness and testimony, and that's essentially what we're experiencing with you, Bishop, today, Mm -hmm. is listening to your testimony of faith and your deposit of pastoral ministry, um, 
that's what it's all about. So make pilgrimage. And, you know, we have here the St. Augustine Catholic, which is a periodical, a magazine that's been distributed for quite a while. And what's funny is making a pilgrimage uh, detached from everyday life and focus on God. That, that is, that's just so funny that we're talking about that. And it's living and, in the moment. And it's and it's living in the moment. That all is all together. about pilgrimage. That's, it is. that's the truth. Because you can't be... I mean, you could be dealing with and making atonement for your past and hoping for the future, but on a pilgrimage, past, present, and future really come together in a spiritual movement. Mm-hmm. It beautiful. really does. Mm-hmm. It really does. Now, here's something that yeah, I want to shift the conversation a little bit, because this is always interesting to me. Bishop, we have up here on the screen your Episcopal coat of arms. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to us, what that quote means, why you chose it? Because that's always something that's fascinated me. Yeah. Well, it's taken from John 13, 1. Uh, is the introduction to the Passion according to St. John. And so that verse 13.1 introduces the entire Passion according to St. John, which Sebastian Bach mm-hmm. made it a, a, a symphony, a, a cantata, and the, the Passion according to St. John. And uh, I, was very, I am very inspired by that verse because it says, um, he loved them to the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that that says the motivation of Jesus, that he loved us completely, without reservation, totally. He loved us to the end. And the word end is teleus, which is perfection. He loved us to perfection, to the end. And so I chose that uh, word. Uh, Every bishop that is called by the Pope chooses a verse, and that's the verse I chose. But... My nephew is uh, an artist. He paints. He has like 400 paintings. Wow. So he's a very talented artist, uh, Dr. Adam Esteves. And I asked him to help me design uh, the coat of arm that um, every new bishop submits to the Holy Father. And uh, I just like, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Mm-hmm. So the gift of the Father is symbolized by the radiance of gold. Those golden rays is, is the love of the Father descending to humanity. And the hands of Jesus, um, uh, because his crucified love uh, was tangible, was his own flesh, was crucified. So the hands... The hands that created the world, all things were made through him, says the prologue. So those hands of the Son of God who save us in his offering. And then in his hands, you have uh, wheat and grapes, the nature that he chose to convey the Eucharist as the memorial of his passion. The background, as you see, is blue. And this seeks to honor Our Lady, mm. because blue is a color that relates to Mary. Uh, I don't know, Father Richard, if you know why. I don't know why blue is connected to Mary. <laughs> Do you have any guess? <laughs> that, that beautiful mantle. Uh, well, it's Our Lady, Lady of the huh? Sea, the uh, Stella Maris. Stella Maris. And the, word, the name Mary comes from an Egyptian word mm-hmm. from Mar, the saltiness of the, of mm-hmm. the ocean, right? The bitterness mm-hmm. of the tears of the ocean as a mm-hmm. call to God. Mm-hmm. So Mary is in, you know, the, uh, intrinsically tied as a name 
to the ocean, to the sea. That's why, like, Our Lady, our Stella Maris of the Sea, right? Uh, it's a so that's why blue they blew off the sea, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, this is the first time I hear an and the explanation. reflection of the atmosphere is mm -hmm. based on the sun striking, even the color of the ocean is but a reflection yeah. of the atmosphere of the sky. So, yeah. it, there's a lot of Great there's theology. So much, in there's it. so much there, uh -huh. but but you know, like the the sense of of the mantle of Our Lady, mm -hmm. um, that the mantle of Our Lady would wrap around mm -hmm. you. That's and, another image. Yeah, yes. I just I I just I just love mm -hmm. I love the Marian dimension mm -hmm. of the blue because you know when we when we think of the Theotokos, mm -hmm. you know, we we think mother of, of the God. Mother of God, mm -hmm. and and the intimacy of God revealing Himself in the manner of the Incarnation mm -hmm. um, through Mary's fiat. It's it's this the new Adam and the new Eve is present in the world. And what you see is the goodness of God entering to, into the world in this kind of incarnational glory of, of the rays of light and then the extension of the purity of self-offering to a complete form, loving you to the end. And what is that met with but the dolors of Mary, the, the mater dolorosa, the, the heart that was pierced by seven swords and the very hands of Christ that were pierced for our salvation. Yeah, like you even said the seven dolors. I see the seven radiance there too. Yep. So there's there's a lot, a lot of, of I always I always think the Episcopal coat of arms mm -hmm. and the heraldry in them is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. So Your Excellency, what is the other side? So now I think that was a good explanation of the right side. What's the left side? Well, before I get to the uh, left side, the background you see a cross, mm -hmm. and it is the cross of Saint Augustine. Amen. I was oh, in Miami. I, I never thought mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I would become bishop of mm -hmm. St. Augustine. Never. Yeah. And I chose the cross of St. Augustine for the, for the coat of arms. Wow. And, and what I love is it's the cross of St. Augustine, but it has a very, uh, the sense of the St. James cross mm -hmm. of, of Spain because of the point at the end. Oh. Uh, and and it's there's a there's a sense for me of the tie to Spain and to Madrid and to mm -hmm. and and to that establishment of the Apostle James. You you your heart and your identity and how much you've blessed our community here in St. Augustine with, with, with bringing in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the ties to Madrid, mm -hmm. uh, especially for the coronation. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's there for me uh, because it's an established placing the cross in the ground. Mm, exactly. And, and that's what Father Lopez did, you know, in, when... In 1565. Yes, he put the cross in the ground and it has remained there. Mm -hmm. And to commemorate it, Archbishop Hurley established that, that cross in a definitive way as the largest cross in the hemisphere, you know, which is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, to the left, responding to your question, Ryan, uh, it is the court of St. Augustine. Uh, the heart, the pierced heart uh, is Augustine. Yeah, you always see St. Augustine yeah. had uh, that coat of arm himself. He was the bishop of Hippo. And the colors are the colors of the diocese of St. Augustine. Mm. The, the, um, uh, in a way, they complement because uh, the Eucharistic theme of the hands with the mm. grape and the wheat uh, is the heart, the pierced heart of Christ, the crucified, loving us to the end. Mm. 
And Bishop, just for, for the viewers that are especially on YouTube, hitting the subscribe button, clicking the bell, and giving us a thumbs up for the show, <laughs> the hat. What is the hat with the tassels and the cords there? How, how would you explain? What, what yeah, is that? that? That is uh, the sign of a bishop, and it's universal. Mm. Every bishop will have that, uh, that configuration. Mm. So it's proper to the order, the Episcopal order, the order of bishops, mm. uh, together with the Pope, uh, succeed the choice of Jesus of choosing Peter and the apostles. Mm. Peter is succeeded by the Bishop of Rome, and the apostles are succeeded by this body of bishops throughout the world. Mm. And you can see that there's 12, 12 tassels, tassels yeah, mm. showing the the uh, continuity with the apostles. Mm -hmm. you and know, that collegiality. Yeah. No? Exactly. Mm. A synodal church, yes. a church that walks together in unity. Amen. Amen. This, this is really cool. I, I, yeah. Dude, I'll, I'll, like I'll, I'll, I'll look them up and I'll read the all the stuff. It's super, yeah. super interesting because it gives you a real sense visually, and I think this is by the habit, it gives you a quick sense visually of their spirituality. Yeah. And it's almost like the stained glass window representing the bishop's heart. Yeah. And it's a very, very fascinating right. thing. Yeah. That's right. That's what I was just thinking. It's just like the heart of a bishop. And it's before they even really, I mean, it's like one of the first things that they do. Mm -hmm. So exactly. you can see like a spiritual progress of mm -hmm. where his ministry is here versus when it started. And So you mentioned that you submit that to Rome mm -hmm. and then there's an approval process, I guess? Or? No, the, the approval is given. Okay. Is the choice of the bishop is respected. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, does that take place before... You take your seat at the cathedral, or, or yeah, how? that that's uh, in what, whether you are an ordinary or whether you are an auxiliary bishop, uh, you you present that coat of arm mm -hmm. that and, goes with your call, hmm. with your office, and then like because this is truly, and I love this because I've I've looked at your coat of arms for for many years now. Mm -hmm. But to see the synthesis of of in a mystical way, mm -hmm. like how God has expressed that like perfectly in your ministry. And I think the show really captures captures that very well. But what was the process of your discernment of this? And was it was it done in the state of prayer? Did you go on retreat? Because this was before you right. you came here. What what was that experience for yes, you? Yes, the first thing you do, you go on retreat, mm -hmm. uh, in a way purifying your intentions mm -hmm. and uh, thanking God for his mercy. Mm -hmm. Because when you are chosen you feel very unworthy, mm -hmm. and you are a sinner. You are not the Immaculate Conception. So the <laughs> <laughs> your sins become part of your awareness. How me? You know, Pope Francis said, who are you? I am a sinner. I love that. Uh, so you, you are aware of your, of your sins, of your own failures, of your infidelities, and you say, God is so merciful that in spite of that, he calls you. A little bit like Peter. I mean, Peter denied the Lord. Mm -hmm. I mean, it couldn't get as offensive as that. But yet, in spite of, of his denial of, of, of the Lord Jesus, uh, he was the one called to be Peter, the head of the, of, of the church, uh, the nascent church, the beginning of the church. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, that's why you need a retreat to work those themes that God calls you in his mercy and in spite of your sins. And, and you need to have that time 
in a way of integrating all these themes before you are ordained a bishop. Mm. You know, it's always fascinating to me that both Peter and Judas betrayed our Lord uh-huh. during the Passion. That's a good point. And their response to mercy, one would have been better to have not been born, the other is the first pope. So the, the, the seeking of mercy and repentance separates the prince of the apostles and the first pope versus the one who would have been better not to have been born. And that shows that we do have a responsibility in the act of grace to accept it mm-hmm. and to seek it, mm-hmm. that it's given freely, but our participation in that makes all the difference, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and that's why even Augustine, he talks about uh, tears, tears of repentance. Uh, we, in, in our sins, we need to uh, express our repentance by tears, so the memory of our sins bring us to tears, to repentance, but the mercy is far greater than our sins. Mm. And I think that we need to be more aware of that, that God is rich in mercy, mm. and mercy opens a future, mm-hmm. a, a magnificent future for each of us. It's a source of joy, great exactly. joy, mercy mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I finish each day looking at the face of Christ next to my bed, and, and it's, it's a simple prayer. It, you know, Jesus, I'm sorry for all of the wrong that I've done today. And, and not extending mercy to the best of my ability to everybody that I meet. And it's, and it's, a, it's a form of tear. It, it's, a, it's the tears of, of repentance daily. And, and, you know, at times we can be, we're, we're so driven in like the check marks of, you know, I do this to please God. I do my nightly examine, uh, you know, my examination of conscience. I say my act of contrition and, and we can, I, I prayed my rosary. I did my holy hour and we can kind of become mechanical in our operations at times. And that will lead to that sense of taking for granted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the heritage of our faith. But the dispositional reality of our heart that, you know, God wants to meet us in that place of our true recollection of our sin and and meet us there in mercy, ever restoring our identity, our mission, our sense of of self. And and I completely agree with you, Bishop. You know, we need a a sense of mercy right now and, and in the world for that to be spread throughout the world and I want to I want to publicly thank you for appealing to the Holy Father on my behalf, uh, along with Father Stephen and Father Bernadine, mm-hmm. to be your missionaries of mercy and and giving us the faculties to extend that mercy through the ministry of the Holy Father to the entire world and and having those faculties to care for people pastorally is a very special a very special gift. And, and thank you for, mm-hmm. for seeing that in, in me because I feel very unworthy of, of that. Um, well, it's amazing that at the cross, the words of Jesus to the one who was at his right. And uh, I mean, Jesus, who, who could be complaining about <laughs> so much suffering, uh, was forgiving the... Uh, one at his right and saying, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Yeah, St. Dismas is one of the patrons of our show. Yep. Oh. We're all repentant sinners, and St. Dismas mm-hmm. is a saint that we really hold, you know. But he's, partic- he's also a sign of, of the greatness of God's mercy <laughs> to extend. I mean, and, and I, I even think also the, the sacrament 
of spiritual unction, like that, that you guys confer the mercy of God at somebody's mm-hmm. deathbed, yes. right? Like without any That's of exactly their, it. like when, when my father passed away and you so lovingly participated in his, that sacramental life and he had this dream and he saw Jesus and everything. Like I was asking you the question, like, what is going on? You know, like I, even though I was a seminary, it was a bad seminary, but didn't learn a lot. But I, 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 was, like, I was like, what's going on? And, and he told me what was going on. And I was just completely humbled at God's mercy that he extends even to our deathbed. That's just so, we're so unworthy of that. And you, you're there and you see it, you know, you're participating in that, in his public, in his ministry to, to these Unworthy people that are just, he's extending grace to. He wants, you know, that, wants that, us. what's difficult for me, Brian, is to see that the father sent his son who suffered so much. When you really pay attention to the cross, mm-hmm. the suffering is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the proportions of that suffering, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you cannot even take it because it's so immense. Mm-hmm. And yet, all of that for mercy. So that sins could be forgiven. Yes. There's yes. so many other ways he could have done that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the capacity of and the precise way that he did it has given us all an ability to participate mm-hmm. in our offering, in our suffering, and no matter what injustice or displacement we may experience, even in Exodus, that we would be displaced from our homeland, that we would... That we would require other people's mercy and depend on other people's mercy, you know, is, is an establishment by Christ. And now the wisdom of that we discover in our relationship with him. And there are, are so many people being displaced now and in, in similar fashion uh, to the Peter Pan Project and what's happening on the level of the USCCB. Bishop Estevez, you immediately communicated your expectations to your priests in supporting uh, the refugees um, in, one, Ukraine. In, in Ukraine as well as uh, Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, when there were many refugees being displaced from their homes. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of movement in the world and there is a lot of grasping for power currently. And, uh, and we have to be the agents of mercy and welcome and hospitality, and we need to be able to provide abundant care mm-hmm. and, and to encourage the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the good news that will establish us in the freedom that we can enjoy that no political power or government can ever take away. And I want to thank you for your letter that you sent out that I put in all of my bulletins. Thank you. Um, and I'd like, to, I'd like to also attach that in the show notes as well so sure. people can read that. It's an encouragement to visit the Prince of Peace votive chapel that is now the new shrine of Our Lady of La Leche. It was built by Archbishop Hurley during the Cold War. And it is a time to pray. There is a statue of Our Lady of Fatima. We do have a pilgrimage coming up. And it's a very sincere pilgrimage because we need to pray. And, uh, you know, so we want to encourage you. Pilgrimage to St. Augustine. You know, visit the Prince of Peace votive chapel. Pray before the image of Our Lady of Fatima. Go to the Sacred Acre and pray. If you can join us on this trip to Fatima, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Fatima to find out 
when that is and what we're going to be doing. It's, it's going, going to be an excellent trip, and it's going to be one that is very important related to prayer. Um, but Bishop, thank you so much for everything that you have done for me personally as my father. Um, you know, you've, you've called me to orders. You have opened my mouth to proclaim the word of God, and you have nurtured my growth. You sent me away for studies in media, and that's the fruits of what we're doing now. And uh, you continue to affirm the, the identity of the priesthood within me and within all of the priests of the diocese. So thank you so much for being with us here at the talk show, the Catholic Talk thank Show. Thank you so much for your words. And really, the joy of a father is to see the son excel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now, you got a good one here, Bishop. Put him in a good position, and you know, he's doing very well. Yeah. He's, a, he's a good priest. I can personally attest to that. Mm -hmm. He's a wonderful priest. Yeah. He always has a hanky, too. <laughs> That's a sign of Because I'm a, cry, I'm a crying priest. <laughs> so, my friends, thank you so much for connecting with us. You know, each and every week we have content that hopefully enriches and supports you and affirms you because you are a part of the mission of Christ and you are a part of his mystical body. Remember that you are loved and set free in love when you share your heart with others you are fulfilling God's plan for your life. Let's pray for Ukraine. Let's pray for those displaced from their homes. Let's pray in thanksgiving for Bishop Estevez's witness that convicts us in that testimony that there is always a place in this world, even if you're displaced from your home, that in the heart of Christ, we can find ourselves wherever we may be, live in that present moment, and leave an impact that is clearly good, the good news. Bishop Estevez, thank you so much. And God bless you. We'll see you all next week.